Hi, this is Chris Westfall, and this is the Financial Executive Podcast. Financial executives across the U.S. were given a taste of the unthinkable last week when Silicon Valley Bank was closed by regulators, and thousands of businesses, mostly venture and privately backed, had their deposits threatened. Although regulators stepped in and ended the panic, what was unthinkable suddenly became possible. When my business loses deposits, how would I make payments? What if I can't make payroll? In this episode of the podcast, we speak with Jay Young, founder and managing partner at Embark Advisors. With over 20 years of experience in corporate finance, Jay works with many small and medium-sized businesses in Silicon Valley and throughout the country. And he discusses the fallout of the latest banking crisis and how financial executives need to reset their approach to commercial banking. I'm happy to give a little more color on my background. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe 10 seconds if that's helpful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, as, as a firm, you know, my background, I was an investment banker with Goldman. And then before that, I was a consultant with McKinsey. Mm-hmm. And prior to that, I did my own startup in the tech space, uh, which didn't go so well. So I shut that down after a few years. Sure. Um, but I, when I left Goldman, I wanted to go back to working with founders, entrepreneurs, business owners. It's, mm-hmm. it's more fun for me. Um, so what we do as a firm, as I mentioned, we work with very small companies like Seed Series A all the way to small public companies. And we'll help them, say, raise capital. Then as their outside finance team, we'll help them manage the business, grow the business. Uh, we take a team approach as opposed to like a single person trying to do like a, a fractional CFO role. Hmm. And then they might want to do a buy side acquisition, raise more capital, and then ultimately sell the business. So we worked with we work with VC backed startups. But we also worked with, with companies that have been around for 10, 20 years, found their own, um, and help them, you know, execute on acquisitions, grow the business and, and sell their business. So that's oh. we're pretty pretty diverse. Are there any picker industries you work with or is it pretty across the board? Um, not, not really. It's a, we're very agnostic, uh, industry agnostic. So we do software, tech, tech services, industrial, consumer, healthcare, et cetera. Like when I was at Goldman, I, I did everything from coal mines to semiconductors. So oh. finance is finance in my mind. Great. So I want to dive right into it because I know you only have a certain amount of time and there's a lot going on. So, you know, given that you work in the small and medium-sized business space, you know, what are some of the questions you're getting regarding what's happening in the banking sector right now? Yeah, I think from our clients, um, the, the, the questions are wide ranging, everything from the macro level around, you know, why is this happening? Are other banks at risk? Um, and then, so we'll kind of explain what happened with the SVB situation and why, in, in, in our opinion, it's not another 2008. Hmm. And then there's more tactical questions around, you know, do you think our banks at risk and what should I do to prepare just in case of like some uh, black swan event related to our banks? And so we'll help give them tactical advice and help them set up um, operationally to avoid any um, major risks. What are some of the what's some of the advice you're giving? I mean, what's your perspective? Is it systemic or how how are you phrasing it to your clients? Um, I don't think it's systemic. I don't think it's anything like 2008. And, you know, having kind of gone through um, that cycle from 2007 to 2012, um, I I don't view this as anything similar to that. I I think this is more classic um, as a liability duration mismatch. It's it's because SVB and Signature Bank had high exposure, concentrated exposure to a specific sector of the economy. Um, So I think it's very different. 
the advice that we give to our clients, even even before SPB, is that um, every company should have two bank accounts mm-hmm. that are linked with ACH. Gives you um, the flexibility to move money in and out very quickly. And on top of two bank accounts, you should have an investment account. So, for example, if you're a startup and you raise fifty million, hundred million dollars, you should not have the vast majority of that money sitting in a bank account. It should be swept away into some kind of investment account so that it has slightly better yield. So that's like the general setup. And if anyone asks me, what's the first thing I should do today? If you don't have one, you should have a second bank account and a linked investment account. So between all three accounts, you can move money around very freely. Do the banks really incentivize that? Because if I want to understand from you know SVB, in any case, it was a lot of um, incentives to strictly use everything within that ecosystem, you know, the bank's ecosystem. So, you know, do banks incentivize that? And if they don't, what are some of the steps you need to do in order to sort of diversify that? Yeah, I mean, I don't think the banks incentivize that. Um, They obviously want to um, own that entire relationship and that's how they make money. Hmm. I I do, I'm not completely privy to the technical aspect of of it, but um, my recollection is even SVB has a relationship with some of the larger banks where you can sweep the cash right. uh, into a different asset management account. Um, in which case, in, in, the, in this situation, that capital was in a different institution, so it's not was not subject to the whole SCV situation. Hmm. So even SVB had that kind of setup in place, um, and so. Uh, Banks are not incentivized to do that, but I think that's proactive action that CFOs, controllers, treasury management teams should take. Um, and I think for, for smaller businesses that are more like mom and pop, it's about making sure that you are within the FDIC limits right. to protect yourself. Um, and for bigger companies, you know, leveraging that investment account can be very helpful. Um yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I guess the question is, like, if I'm uh, a small and medium-sized business, I have over the, you know, the FDIC limit. What are the practical steps I need to take today in order to, like, as you mentioned, you know, uh, look into sweep accounts, look into asset accounts, look into diversifying? What, what's, what's, like, step one in that process? Yeah, so step one, find another bank. And especially in this world with with Plaid providing interconnectivity, very easy interconnectivity, mm-hmm. um, a lot of these accounts, you'll be able to move money across different accounts easily. And a lot of people have actually asked like, oh, should I move all my money to Chase or Wells right. Fargo? Um, I think it's a valid question. In my view, it's not a, system, a systemic risk at this point. Mm-hmm. And as a smaller business, especially if you're not you know, backed by a big VC, you don't really get the banking relationship or the support from a big bank like Chase. So our general advice is to build a relationship with a local bank, a regional bank, a smaller bank that actually is able to cater to SMBs. And there's, there are plenty out there that are well capitalized um, and not in a risky position. And then on top of that, um, we often see um, diversification to maybe it's a digital bank or a, a national bank where they can move capital around. Um, and then the asset, the investment account is typically held with a larger investment management company. So you can start opening up those bank accounts and make sure that they can be connected with something like uh, the Plaid interface so that 
you can ACH capital easily. Maybe for our listeners, maybe we could describe what the Plaid interface is and what, what does it do? Yeah, so so Plaid is um, it's a fintech company, and what they've done is in the back end, they connect um, a lot of the major financial institutions, whether it's um, you know your your bank, they, they'll connect to digital banks like Mercury, they'll they'll connect to um, investment management companies, and so what they do is they facilitate the authentication um, without having to do a ton of paperwork. It's simple as creating an ID, uh, putting in your ID and password, mm. and they'll connect your your multiple uh, financial institutions together. And that allows you to um, use what's called a, an ACH transfer, which right. is typically faster and more cost-effective than a wire transfer. Great. So one of the things you, you, you talk about being a startup, you know, trying to figure this out. And um, the crisis, when we talk about the crisis around the SVB, there, there's always obviously talk about startup community, even crypto, even some wineries. Um, are you seeing you know, this sort of way of thinking about it or, or the, I guess the anxiety around it just relegated to those industries or do you see it much broader than that? Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, because of the timing of the announcement from SVB, it got a little bit confounded with the, the crypto side. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think crypto really directly impacted SVB as much um, or Signature Bank. I think it was more Silvergate. So, um, and I think from the broader um, economy, we, we do work with a lot of non-tech back, uh, non-VC backed companies as well. Mm-hmm. I think for them, uh, it's one step removed. So yeah. we haven't seen a ton of alarm, and uh, from, from that angle, and I, I, I do think the announcement coming out on Sunday from the Treasury, Fed, and FDIC was able to quickly quell any anxiety that might have. Uh, you know, spread into other sectors of the economy. So I think that was that was good action. And starting Monday, some of the people that were anxious felt they were, it seemed that they were more relieved and um, settled down. Since 1931, Financial Executives International has been the leading advocate for the views of corporate financial management. Its more than 10,000 members hold policymaking positions as chief financial officers, chief accounting officers, controllers and treasurers at companies from every major industry. And FEI enhances its members' professional development through peer networking, career management services, conferences, research, and publications. Join FEI today to network with key influencers, understand emerging issues, advocate for corporate finance, and boost your career opportunities. Both individual and corporate membership options are available. Go to www.financialexecutives.org and click on Become a Member, or look for the link in this episode's show notes. If you were advising a client, and I guess, I don't know if this is part psychology or part practicality, and they wanted to allay their fears about, you know, the relationship with their existing bank, what would you tell them? How would they have the ability to... um, calm themselves around the ability of the bank to be there and then, frankly, for a better term, be there the next day during this crisis? Yeah. So in addition to having that second bank account, I think, uh, well, our advice to our clients, and we, we already do this even before SVB, is to kind of have a cash forecast 
and funding plan. Mm-hmm. Um, have a 13 week uh, cash flow plan, but also have a longer dated um, cash forecast and funding plan so that you actually have a better sense of what your working capital needs are on a week to week basis. So when's money coming in, when's money going out, uh, and also a longer term funding plan around how much cash you're going to need for the year, um, netted off by your your um, net, pro- net, net proceeds received. So having that visibility and the ability to track that um, through the weekly cash forecast, as well as a longer dated month to month plan, I think that gives people a little bit more sense of control um, and visibility into what's happening. So on the one hand, you have that plan. On on the second, on the other hand, you have the the mechanics to move capital around. And then the third thing is um, a lot of our clients, especially having gone through COVID, we have emergency cash management plans. Mm-hmm. So if something happens, let's say supply chain disruption, and you're or you're not getting, you don't have access to working capital, and you have to take some quick action. Uh, if you start thinking about what to do in that moment when it happens, you're already a little bit too late. Yeah. So kind of like if you live in an earthquake prone zone, you want to have your earthquake backpack and know what to do when something happens. Mm-hmm. Similarly, you should have an emergency cash management plan. Hope you never have to take it out. But having that, I think, does keep up, give people peace of mind. For for you know a, a smaller size company that necessarily doesn't have the skills in that sort of working cap getting the mind around working capital or the cast management plan how, do, how what would you be your suggestion in order to achieve those uh that's a good question and i think during the last 10 years um as the economy continued to be very robust uh we used to, we we joke that finance is the last area that people invest in yeah um and i think maybe this this is a reminder, especially in this environment, that you know finance is you know cash is the lifeblood of a company, and now we're in a capital scarce environment, which means the lifeblood is getting a little bit more scarce, and it's finance's job to manage that lifeblood. So maybe it is time to invest. And I think um, in this in this world now, there's plenty of solutions where you can find someone that's outsourced outside um, part-time that can still help you with the essentials without the heavy burden of building out a full-time full team internally. Hmm. Um, but I do think it's a, it's an area of expertise um, that companies have to invest in to put plans in place and then also just man- monitor performance to know when to trigger those plans. Is this sort of a hard pivot for a lot of the companies this size? Because I, I just from my understanding, it seems that they've really focused on whether it's the product or the market share, but haven't had real time to consider the financing um, and, and the, the back end uh, of the company. How hard of, it, of a pivot would it be for a company of like a medium size to do that sort of thing? And um, I guess, what are the initial steps towards that? Uh, that's a great question. So I, I do think it's a it's a philosophical change. So it is a hard pivot, as you mm-hmm. mentioned. We're going from a growth at all cost environment mm-hmm. to a, uh, well, it's a capital scarce environment. So it's, it's not growth at all costs. It has to be measured growth. And so before it was all about 
you know, how many new customers are you bringing on? Uh, what's your annual revenue or recurring revenue growth rate? It's all about growth rate. And yeah. now we're seeing that there's increased concern, whether it's from the investors, the board, um, the CFO and the CEO about certainly still looking at growth, but how efficient is our sales team? Mm -hmm. Sales efficiency has become key. Marketing efficiency has become key. Reevaluating your overhead spend around, you know, how are we staffed in terms of HR? Um, you can see a lot of companies where they're restructuring their HR team, the recruiters. Um, GNA is coming to focus. Mm -hmm. um, and that's all with the goal of now managing your net cash burn. So again, mm -hmm. they're planning their year out. Um, they now have a second goal of reducing the net cash that they're burning throughout the year, which means they have to spend less on marketing sales and GNA, and that's going to temper growth a little bit. So now it's a balancing act. Whereas before it was only looking at one figure and pushing that one forward. Now we're balancing two contradicting forces. Are you think a lot of companies are going to have to staff up uh, their finance departments? Or as you say, is it a, a balancing act of who you have on staff and, and how much you want to outsource? Um. I think uh, we've observed that a lot of companies are um, investing more on the finance side. Mm. One of our clients we, we helped just raise um, around the capital. The first ask from the investors was to hire a full-time CFO. Hmm. Um, and I think it's, it's just rec recognizing that, you know, capital scarce and they want they want to make sure there's good stewardship on the day-to-day -day level, not just the board level. Um, and this isn't a, a huge company either, so right. I think there is a there's more focus there around cash management and um, the broader financial metrics, not just growth. I want to get back to the uh, you know the the banking side of it a little bit. Um, you know, there's a lot of discussion about changes in regulation, and I'm sure we don't even have an idea of the scope of what could change going forward. But what what are your what are you seeing or what do you anticipate some of the changes that are going to be in the relationship between a company and its bank? Um, you know, it's it as you said, it's very different when interest rates are low and capital is plentiful. What how does that change in a much con change in much constrained environment? Yeah, I, I think uh, when you see such a big bank like Silicon Valley Bank falter. Again, just just for inherent reasons, it's not like they were investing in toxic right. uh, CMBSs or CLOs. So this is just an inherent uh, part of the banking system in general. When you see something something like that happen, I think it makes people reevaluate their banking relationships. Um, and so I think diversification is going to come into place from play from the customer's angle. And I also think it means that banks are going to have to work harder to. Um, differentiate themselves and build that relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I think you'll kind of see see that evolve. However, I, I don't think, I, I think this situation is going to negatively impact the overall bank-led venture debt environment, unfortunately. I think mm -hmm. that's a, you know, it was a big part of the, the ecosystem and the capital stack. But with everything that's happening, I think that part of the, the capital stack is going to be hit pretty hard. Does it automatically shift over to uh, to private market, or uh, what? What's your thought on that? 
Yeah. So um, I think be before all of this, if a company raises, say, you know, 10 in venture equity, you can expect anything from two to three or up, up to maybe even more, up to five in venture debt. Um, so that, that helps you all extend the runway. And now, and, and from a venture debt perspective, the bank-led venture debt was much cheaper than your direct lenders or your venture debt funds. So it was always a preferred source of capital after any large capital raise. But if that side of the equation starts to diminish, now as a startup, you're left with um, either raising more equity, which is your most most expensive cost of capital, right. or extending your runway with alternative lenders, uh, venture, venture debt funds, direct lenders, mm -hmm. and their cost of capital is significantly higher um, than Silicon Valley Bank, Bridge Bank, and some of those other banks. So I think people are going to have to kind of cope with that. And again, it kind of goes back to, hence, you have to reduce your net cash burn to organically extend your runway because your your external sources are are getting exhausted. Yeah, that's, that's uh, yeah, I, I see that a lot or I hear that discussed a lot. Um, I guess a final question, sort of wrap it up. Um, you know, everybody is sort of, for lack of a better term, in the fog of war right now. <laughs> there, there's a lot going on. There's a lot thing, a lot of things to think about. Where do you see us uh, in three months or six months down the road? Or, or can you even anticipate that right now? Yeah, I think it's always hard to hard to tell what's going to happen um, in, in this kind of environment. Um, you know, I, I cautiously, I'm a bit of an optimist. I cautiously think that the that this current crisis around SVB, Signature Bank, uh, Silverblade, I think that's going to be quelled with the recent actions. Mm -hmm. So um, I don't see terrible bank contagion going on. But like I said, I think it it further hits the capital markets because now not only has equity funding rounds gone down and become smaller per round, now the venture debt is also going to be more difficult to obtain. So this all kind of piles on to making it more difficult for startups. Yeah. And, you know, we've seen some companies pivot quickly into that new like cash management mode and extending runway. But I think a lot of companies just don't have the financial toolkit um, to measure their burn and manage it and take the appropriate action. So a lot of companies are still burning a lot of cash, which is what happened to Silicon Valley Bank. All of their depositors right. were pretty much cash. So. I think the, the bigger problem is going to be now at the startup level where you're going to have a lot of startups that aren't able to raise adequate capital to extend their runway. Um, and there aren't going to be readily available sources of capital for them. Great. Great. Those are my questions. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks very much. Yeah, Christopher, it was a, it was a pleasure and I'm um, looking forward to talking to you again. Sure.